All right. Well, let's open up our Bibles this morning to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, and this morning we're supposed to cover verses 9 through 21. As we just teach through the Bible, we find ourselves here in this section. And to be honest with you, I had every intention to cover verses 9 through 21. I mean, I studied other translations. I did my cross-references, my word studies, my meditations, my observations, my interpretations, my applications. But as I was uh, this morning just praying, man, the Lord just stopped me in my tracks with one verse that we'll cover this morning. And that's found in verse 9 of Romans 12. Notice what it says. It says, let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling. Cling to what is good. You know, as we continue our journey through the book of Romans, we've seen uh, what we're supposed to believe. Now we're studying how we're supposed to behave. We've seen the doctrine. Now it's the duty. We've seen the position. Now it's the practice. What do Christians look like? How do Christians act? I mean, it's one thing, you know, going to church and saying you're a Christian. It's another thing really living out the life. And like I said, You know, being uh, crazy in love with God, going against the flow, standing out like a sore thumb. We really should be shining as lights in the darkness. And people should really be able to look at your life and say, man, there is something different about them. They might even say you are weird. (laughs) They might say you're extremely strange. And if they do, praise God, man. Not that you'd just be weird for, you know, weirdness sake, but that you would be weird and that you're going against the flow of society. You know, a lot of you here today are struggling, man. I know what's going on, even as Christians. Some of you here today as Christians, you find yourself frustrated. You're like, man, I thought that when I signed up for this, that there was more joy to it. I thought there was more peace to it. I thought that I would be moving mountains and, and walking on water and And I don't understand, you know, why I find myself not able to overcome and and struggling with this and worried about that. And you continue to fail and are defeated and frustrated as Christians. You know, I want to share with you guys something today in our study that I think is the answer of all answers. And it is that one word we read right there in verse 9. It's called love. Love is the answer. Love for God. Love for the people. You know, when you read the Bible, you see the preeminence of love. You see how it's top on the list. You see it over and over again. I mean, what did Jesus say? The the, the greatest commandments are. What was the first one? To do what? To love the Lord your God, with all your heart and all your soul, all your mind, all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. He said, on these hang all the law and the prophets. The answer for your son is not a toy. It's not money. The answer for your son is love. And sometimes it's tough love. You've got to give them a little something on a trancaso right there. The non, you know, you've got to take care of stuff like that. But it's got to be motivated by love. You can't neglect your children. 
You've got to spend time with them. You've got to love them. That's the answer, you guys. I read a story about a man. I'm sorry I forgot the name of this man, but you know, he worked in conjunction with Henry Ford, who we you know, attribute to be the inventor of the automobile. And um, I guess this guy was responsible for building the engine of the automobile and for putting together the machinery that built that engine. And so as time progressed, you know, Henry Ford is cranking out the cars, you know. And then what happens is one day this portion of the whole assembly line uh, breaks down. And so what ends up happening is uh, they work on it and they're struggling and they're trying everything and they're pulling out the hair and they can't figure out how to fix this. And so what Henry Ford does is he gets, I don't know if, well, yeah, I think it was a phone call. Anyways, he, he, he communicates with this guy and he tells him, hey, you know, something's wrong with this portion of our assembly line. Can you come out and take a look at it? And so the inventor of this portion of the assembly line, the inventor of the, you know, machine, uh, the uh, engine, he comes in and in 10 minutes, he fixes it. It's amazing. 10 minutes. It didn't take that long. And then he splits, and about a week later, Henry Ford gets a bill for $10,000. And Henry Ford is kind of upset, you know, because $10,000 back then, you know, was a good chunk of change, right? That's a lot of money. And so he contacts him, and he says, hey, this doesn't make any sense. You were here for 10 minutes, and you tinkered with this thing for 10 minutes, and you're charging me $10,000? And the guy said, well, yeah, the, the way that it works is this. Uh, $10 for tinkering, $9,990 for knowing where to tinker. <laughs> and you know, the Lord, he sees all your problems. He knows all your struggles. He sees even the depression and the emptiness and the frustration that you feel. And he knows where to tinker. And he wants you to have love. He wants to handle the heart. He wants to meddle with the middle. He wants to dig in deep into the soil of your soul. I was talking to one lady afterwards, and she was telling me all these things. Yeah, handle the heart, meddle with the middle. Listen, he wants to tinker with the ticker. That's what she told me. And then she said that I'm a word nerd. I don't know if that's true or not. I said, it takes one to know one. All I know is this, you guys. God wants to get a hold of your heart. And he wants to change you, not as... You know, Christians who are busier, but Christians who are lovelier. It's time to grow up. It is time to grow up, you guys. And, you know, the way that we grow up is is by growing in love. To love the Lord and to love the people. You know, we're going to see this as we go through our study today. It's so important, you know. Don't tell Aaron I told you this, okay? Please, because if you do, I will get in trouble. <laughs> but it's been a kind of a, a it's kind of a monumental week for us because for the first time, Aaron shaved this week. It was so amazing, man. And so, not only that, yesterday he came into the office with me. We came in here about six fifteen in the morning, and 
And for the first time in his life, he had a cup of coffee with me, man. That's not awesome, you guys. That is so beautiful, man. He's growing up. He's growing up. And I see it there as he's drinking his coffee, thinking he's so cool. And I see it there as these whiskers begin to protrude from his little lip right there. And and I think, you guys, for us, um, it needs to be a little bit more evident that we're growing up. And we need to grow and we need to love. You know, if you read Romans 12, the list right here, there's a whole slew of things. Some say there's 12 different things that Paul uh, begins to then elaborate on as far as what it looks like to be a Christian. And we're going to go through all these things, you know, hopefully one by one, and we'll probably go a little bit faster. Now, some say all these things are kind of randomly disconnected. There's kind of like no uh, common thread woven through them. But others, and I believe rightly so, tell you this. They say, hey, there's always that common thread of theology. And what it is, is love. And that's why God wants us to slam on the brakes this morning and to begin to understand what this speaks of. Again, notice there in verse 9, let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. The first word I would like to give you this morning in an outline is the word imperative. Imperative. Because that word right there speaks of a command. And the command that we see here is the command of all commands. It's the king of all commands. It is the command from the king. And that is to love. To love. Now, in the Greek culture, it's kind of an interesting thing. This right here is a radical concept. You know, the Greeks had numerous words for love. Um, They had the word eros, from which we derive our word erotic. And that's more of a romantic love. And for those of you who are married, I encourage you to have eros, to have a romantic love. God wants you to have a romantic love as husbands and wives. doesn't matter how old you are. You have that eros. The next Greek word that we have is the word phileo, And that's more of a brotherly love. If you look at verse 10, as a matter of fact here, it's used there. It says, be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love. And that's a cool thing, huh? If you come on a Wednesday night, you will walk into an atmosphere of phileo. There is big time brother love there. It's awesome. It really is. It's an amazing thing. And it's cool to have eros. And it's cool to have phileo. Uh, Another Greek word is the Greek word storge, and that word is more of a family love, and that's very important. I see this in sometimes moms, the way that they, they love their children. They just love their kids so much. And they do so much for them. And they sometimes aren't even Christian. It's an amazing thing, the love of a mom for her children. And it's so cool to have the eros where it belongs and the phileo and the storge. But the one love that God commands us, that's the king of commands, the command from the king, is the Greek word agape. And that's the word that Paul uses here. And this is really the standard that God calls us to as Christians. 
you might say, well, what is love? What is agape love? Well, what agape love is a divine love. It's a supernatural love. This love speaks of unselfishness. It speaks of self-giving. It centers on the needs and welfares of the one loved. And listen to this. will pay whatever personal price is necessary to meet his or her needs and foster his or her welfare. It is a totally crazy love. It is a love that loves their enemies. It is a love that God only provides as we abide in him and he in us. For that reason, the word agape was very rare in Greek literature. It was because of that, there was a radical concept that this love represented. As a matter of fact, agape love, which revolves around others and not self, was even ridiculed and despised as a sign of weakness in that culture. You know, the confusion of the world is, why would you put their needs before your own? Why would you put your wife above yourself? Why would you be willing to sacrifice everything for someone like that? And the answer is agape love. That this is the love that we need to let overflow from our hearts. You know, they don't understand that that's who God is. And sometimes I think Christians don't understand that that's who God is. They don't understand that that's who God is, that that's how God is, and that's who we should be, and that's how we should be. You know, unfortunately, agape love was very rare in that culture. And I'm afraid to say it's even very rare in today's culture, even among the church. And that's why it's time, man, to get some whiskers on that face. Well, not the ladies. (laughs) It's time to grow up, man, and, and to know, okay, well, what's the measure? What's the standard? If I'm supposed to be growing up, okay, I'm busier. Cool, you're busier. Are you lovelier? You see, that's the question. Are you making decisions for them or for yourself? You know, I love one song by Stephen Chris Chapman. He said, you know what? I want to love my wife in such a way that I look into her eyes and I don't see the reflection of myself. I just see her and no one else. And you begin to make decisions like that, not how this is going to affect you, not how this is going to hurt you. Because, you know, of the agape love, Jesus didn't make that decision on how it would affect him. Because if he did, he wouldn't have gone to the cross. He wouldn't have died. He wouldn't have saved us. But he loved us. And he died for us. And the calling for Christians is to do just that. But I think a lot of times we forget. I believe that if Jesus was writing to the church today, he would probably say the same thing he said to the church at Ephesus. You have left your first love. You don't love God the way that you should. And you don't love others the way that you should. Instead, we replaced agape love with a strong, strong, strong love for ourselves. 
And that's why I encourage you guys today. You know, this is what I was thinking, man. I don't know what your guys are like. You know, there are some people here, and I see it more often in ladies, but uh, not always, you know, that you do have love. And I've seen the way that you make decisions, not based, you know, primarily on how it affects you. You know, uh, sometimes, you know, I see that and I get blown away. But a lot of times I don't. And so this is what I'm going to encourage you guys to do. And a lot of times younger people struggle with this. And so God help us to grow up. But, you know, uh, make a list of all the things you do throughout the week. You know, you wake up, you go to school, you go to you know, work, all the things that you do throughout the week, you know, watching the Dodger game and all the kind of different stuff. And then, and then right next to it, write, well, who is this for? Right, right next to it, who is this for? And you might say, well, I go to work for my family. Okay, you do. Then why do you complain about your boss? I go to work for God. Yeah, then why do you take half-hour breaks? Why do you do what you do? And you just make a list of all the things, who you're doing it for. I have a feeling that a lot of us here would be shocked to realize the crushing truth that I'm living life for myself. And let me tell you something, that is the most miserable place to live on planet Earth, to live for yourself. You know, haven't you learned, and maybe sometimes we've had those tastes of victory, that living for others is so awesome? Haven't you guys noticed that? It's an amazing thing. It really is. I mean, doing things God's way is the way that we find satisfaction in life pouring into your children, spending time with them, spending time with your wife, going to the orphanage, you know, studying so that you can feed people good food. I mean, really praying and, and doing this because you love the people. I mean, really doing things for others. You know, some people, they just eat. They never cook. They're takers and not givers. And God says, no, you, you need to you need to begin to love. And as you step out of your comfort zone and you do things that are crazy, man, you watch what God's going to do. You know, it was cool the other day. We were on our way in. Aaron and I were on our way in. And, you know, um, I don't know if you guys have ever done this as a dad, but I blew it with him. I blew it. I said something that I shouldn't have said. And so we got in the truck, and it was silent. It, it was silent. I felt so terrible about something that I had said. And so I was going down the road and got on the freeway. I'm probably already in Ballin Park on the 10th freeway. And I just uh, turned to him and, and I told him I'm sorry for what I said. I don't know why for dad, sometimes that's a hard thing to say, huh? I'm sorry for what I said. And let me tell you something, the results were amazing because he said, I'm sorry too. But you got to know this. Aaron has never said that from the heart before. And right there, as I, as I said, Lord, I got to love you. I got to do what's right. I got to love my son. I got to do what's right. I saw God reach his heart. Because he had said sorry before, but only because we made him. <laughs> Have your kids ever done that? Tell her you're sorry. Okay, tell them you're sorry. And they, sorry. You know, they do. (laughs) 
I'm telling you guys that the only way we're going to reach them is by loving God and by loving them. And here in this letter right here, Paul says, listen, this is the way that it works. It's got to be agape love, and it's got to be a love without hypocrisy. We know according to 1 Corinthians 12, 31 through 13, 3, that love is more important than any spiritual gift or deed. Think about that. Any gift or deed. The Bible says you can speak with the tongues of angels, but if you don't have love, you're just a bunch of noise. The Bible says that if you have faith to move mountains or if you know all mysteries, you can understand the whole Bible from Genesis to Revelation. But if you don't have love, profits you nothing. It says if you give your body to be burned, you sell everything you have and give it to the poor. If you don't have love, there's going to be no rewards in heaven. Love is very important. Later on, if you read down in that same chapter, 1 Corinthians 13, verse 13, it says, Now abide in these, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. In the same chapter, verse 8, it says, Love never fails. And that's why it's so important for us to check our hearts. Lord, do, do I have love? Do I really have love? We read in Galatians 5, verse 22, that it's the fruit of the Spirit, the first fruit of the Spirit, upon which we probably see all the other fruits flow. And then Paul the Apostle in 1 Thessalonians, if you want to turn there, I like this scripture in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. Notice what he says. He says here in 1 Thessalonians 3 verse 12, And may the Lord make you increase and abound in what? Love to one another and to all, just as we do to you. If you want to find out whether or not you're growing, um, don't look at how God's using your life. God can use a donkey. He really can. And he has. If you want to find out whether or not you're growing in your life, don't, you know, how much chapters have you read or even prayers that you prayed. If you want to find out whether or not you're growing in your life, is search your heart. Are you doing what you're doing because you love God and because you love the people? There's a lot of people that say, I love you, bro. love you, sis. I love you, God. And they don't. And that's why Paul here, he says back in Romans chapter 12, let love be without hypocrisy. How many times have you heard the world say, sometimes even the church says, hey, there's, you know, the church is filled with a bunch of hypocrites. And although that's not a valid reason not to go to church service, and although that's not a valid reason by any means not to reject Jesus Christ, it's got to concern you as Christians that that is the honest-to-goodness truth, that there are so many hypocrites in the church because the love is not real. And Paul knows all about this. And so he says, hey, let love be without hypocrisy. I mean, if it's really love, it can't be sloppy agape anymore. It can't simply be good habits, proper mechanics. It can't be an act we put on. It's got to come from the heart. The NIV says love must be sincere. The NLT says don't just pretend that you love others, really love them. 
You know, I've told you guys many times that, you know, I, I always tell my kids I love them all the time. You know, I always tell my wife I love her. Every time we're on the phone, I love you. Even if we say it real fast, love you. You know, we always say it. I love you all the time, you know. Every night before they go to sleep, we always have this little routine. Jesus loves you. I love you. Thanks for being my son. Jesus loves you. I love you. Thanks for being my daughter. Every night, Jesus loves you. I love you. But words are just words. There's got to be the ways of life and the works of life that prove the words of life. And although it's cool to say, I love you, the question is, do you really love the Lord? Do you really love the people? The Lord wants to know. That's why he asked Peter, do you love me? And do you think the Lord knew whether or not Peter loved him? Yes or no? He knew. Then why did he ask Peter? Because he wanted him to think about it. I want you to think about this. Do you love me? And Peter thought about it. He said, Lord, I'm not there yet. I like you. I like the way you give me free fish. I like the way you pay my taxes. The Lord asked him again, do you love me? I like you. Okay, do you like me? He restored him in the threefold question, but he made him search his heart. Later on, Peter said, I want you guys to love each other with a fervent love. He wrote in his letter, I want you to have a sincere love. Because Peter eventually discovered he grew some whisker. He drank some coffee. He eventually discovered in his life as a saved, born-again, blood-bought believer that it was all about love. Why is it that we don't know that? You know, the Beatles knew it. What did they be? The Beatles knew it. I mean, <laughs> they may not have lived it, but they sang it. All we need is love. They sang that, Huey. I mean, you name it, man. The world even knows that it's love that makes this world go round. I think we, though, as Christians, are more accountable because we're the only ones capable of loving. Paul did his best to serve the Lord and the people with this type of heart. It's interesting to me when you read the Bible, Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. And then what did the Lord say to Peter? If you love me, you got to serve me. Feed my lambs. Feed my sheep. Tend my flock. That's if you love him. What do you do when your nephew calls you up? He's all jacked up. Strung out on drugs. Not a Christian. And he wants to live with you. It's a hard question, huh? There's a lot of Christians that wouldn't even pray about it. They're like, he's bad. You know, we're going to see next time when we get into hospitality, it's the Greek word phileo exenio. It means to let strangers live with you. All these things we're going to see are motivated by love. That's a hard question. I'm not telling you you got to do that, but... I believe that Christians do crazy things when God leads them to do things motivated by love. And we have to think outside the box. 
You know, Stephen Chris Chapman has a really good song on this issue, you know. And, you know, although this song, the music is kind of dorky, the words are incredible. Let me read to you what he says. It's called Something Crazy. And it says he's got a Bible and a megaphone standing on the corner. And everybody's saying he's crazy. Well, does he really think anybody wants to hear what he has to say? He's not screaming at anybody. In fact, it's as if it's a love story that he's trying to tell them. And he knows it may look strange, but he just smiles and says that's okay. Because, you know, sometimes love makes you act that way. And it's crazy when love gets a hold of you. And it's crazy that love will make you do. And it's crazy, but it's true. You really don't need no love at all until it's making you do something crazy. And that's the way the song goes. Have any of you heard that song? Okay, so only one person is saved here. (laughs) You guys, I think we're lacking love. There's so much we could say on this. But first there's the imperative. Then there's the negative. Back in Romans 12, he says, let love be without hypocrisy. And then he says, abhor what is evil. Abhor what is evil. This is what we're called to do as Christians, to love without hypocrisy and to hate what is evil. The NIV says to hate. The we says look with loathing and horror. Psalm 97.10 says, You who love the Lord hate evil. Psalm 119.104 says, Through your precepts I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way. Psalm 119.128 says the same thing, I hate every false way. And Proverbs 8.13 says, The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. But what do we do so many times? Uh, Psalms 1 talks about the guy who likes to go and to walk with the ungodly and to stand in the path of sinners and to sit in the seat of the scornful. And we'll go and we'll pay money to hear words that are evil and to hear plots that are evil and to listen to music that is evil rather than fleeing evil. When the Bible says to flee the evil, it's speaking about getting as far away as fast as you can from evil in your heart. But what do we do so many times? We toy with it. Oh, it's just a little bit of cleavage. It's not a big deal. Oh, you know, this and that. And you find yourself compromising rather than hating evil. You see, this is the way we're going to make it as Christians, to let your love be without hypocrisy and to abhor, to hate evil. And I know those are some biggie, you know, standards, but you guys, this is what God's called us to do as Christians. You know, unfortunately, what's happened is we have been desensitized. You know, John MacArthur said this. Someone has said that the only security against sin is to be shocked by it. I don't think we're shocked anymore. That's no big deal. He said the constant bombardments of our senses through TV, newspapers, magazines, movies, books, immoralities, violence, and perversions of modern society make it difficult to be shocked by anything. Tragically, many Christians regularly entertain themselves with pure ungodliness 
rationalizing that by simply being a Christian, they're somehow immune from sinful infection. And that's so true, you guys. God help us to hate evil. We don't hate sinners, we hate the sin. Just like God. You know, the Bible says in Proverbs chapter 6, verse 16 through 19, that God hates these six things. Yes, seven are an abomination to him. He hates those things, and we should hate him as well. It's kind of cool over in Revelation chapter 2 to find a good balance to this whole thing in which we read in Revelation chapter 2 God's words to the church at Ephesus. And if you read Revelation chapter 2 verse 6, the Lord commands the church that they hated the deeds of the Nicolaitans. And so it's, you know, cool to hate those deeds. And there are certain things that we should hate. But the Lord had told the same church, you've left your first love. And so it's kind of cool the way that it balances out, just like we see in Romans. Let love be without hypocrisy. And then hate what is evil. And then the last thing we see in our text today is to cling to what is good. To cling to what is good. The verb kolao has at its root the idea of glue. And it came to be used of any bond. As servants of the Lord Jesus Christ, we are to bind ourselves to what is good, that which is inherently right and worthy. You know, 1 Thessalonians 5, 21 and 22 says, Test all things, hold fast what is good, and abstain from every form of evil. And so when you look at that a little more, more closely, what that means is, okay, here's a situation that you're dealing with. Here's a circumstance. God wants you to take a look at it with discernment, with thoughtful, careful evaluation in order to make a judgment that is righteous and decisions that are pleasing to God. And as you do that, you let love be without hypocrisy. You cling to what is good. You hate evil. God will begin to bless your life. You know, in closing, there's a few things that I think that are good that I just want to mention to you that come directly out of the Bible. Things that you can hold on to. Cling to what is good. Number one, good doctrine. Cling to good doctrine. Don't be listening to, you know, that lady, you know, Joyce Myers, because you like the way she talks. So what? That's not clinging to good doctrine. Secondly, cling to good works. Good works. The Bible says in Titus, and you read Titus over and over again, it says, be careful to maintain good works. The third thing, and I like this one, good men. Cling to good men. You might say, oh, Manny, there's no good men. The Bible says there's none that are good. No, not one. Okay, you're, that's right. You know, apart from the Lord, none of us are good. Thank you for being Bereans. I appreciate that. But the Bible does say this. Barnabas was a good man. And the Bible does say that Demetrius was a good man. And you find a good man in your life and you cling to him. Not just the ladies, the brothers too. When you find a good woman in your life and sister and you cling to her, then God will bless you. 
You see, you cling to good doctrine, good works, good men, a good conscience. The Bible talks about having a good conscience. Don't go around violating that inner mechanism in which God tells us what's right or wrong. The Bible says we are to be good stewards of our time, our talent, our treasure, the gang, the gold, the gospel, you name it, man. Be good stewards. It talks about being a good soldier. It talks about being an individual that bears the good news and is willing to fight the good fight. And on and on and on. There is a lesson here, you guys, that in one sense, I'm sorry to say, is deeper than I can ever begin to touch. They say that theologians will never touch the bottom. And in this one verse, I believe there is a lesson for us in which God says, listen, this is a litmus test. How are you doing in this area, Manny? Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor evil and cling to what is good. I'm so proud of you guys, man. I'm so proud of you, Manny. You know what to believe and you believe the right thing. But man, whatever you do, make sure you connect the dots. Make sure you cross that bridge and make sure you live the life of the love of the Lord. Because if you don't live the life, then what you've done, in essence, we call it this, a spiritual abortion. You didn't bring it to term. You didn't put feet on it. You didn't allow the rubber to meet the road. I'll close with this last quote. It was said of the popular 19th century English author William Arnott. His preaching is good. His writing is better. But his living is best of all. Would that it could be said of all Christians that they're living and they're loving was best of all. Hey, man, that guy over there, he's, you know, he's a honk, or she's fine, or she's beautiful, or hey, they're a great cook, and hey, this guy can write, and this guy can speak. And you can think of all the compliments that you can give to people, but man, the best compliment of all, wouldn't you say, is that that man right there, and that woman right there, you can see it oozing out. You can see it overflowing They are living and loving the Lord Jesus Christ. Let that be your goal for the rest of your life. Father, we thank you so much for your word today, Lord. Help us, Lord, to obey, to let love be, to let love be, to let love be without hypocrisy, abhorring what is evil and clinging to what is good. Father, we just thank you so much for loving us. And I know, Lord, that you um, are speaking and you want to change. Not only Christians, Lord, but maybe some here today who don't know you. And Father, our hearts go out to them most of all. Lord, that if there are any here today who do not know you, who are not born-again believers, who are not committed Christians, who are not saved saints, if there are any here today who are not your children, Lord, that today you, by your Holy Spirit, would convict them. And, Lord, that you would show them they need Jesus. Apart from Jesus, they will perish. 
And Lord, today work in their hearts and today share with them the fact, open their eyes to see that Jesus died for them on that cross. He bore all their sins. And if they would simply trust in Jesus, then they might have life. They will have life. And that more abundantly, Lord. That's our prayer today, Father, that you would work in every single heart here. We just love you, Lord. We thank you. And we ask that you would do a work. Now, as we partake of communion together, Lord, I ask that you would allow us to really examine our hearts. To search our hearts for love. Lord, is it there? Do we really hate evil? Are we really clinging to what is good? And if not, Lord, let us cry out today so that we can walk out these doors and that we would never be the same. Help us, Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Now the ushers are going to pass out the bread and the cup and we're going to have communion together. And... um, You know, if you're here and you're not a Christian, you know, you shouldn't really take communion. If you're here today and and you don't want to get right with the Lord, you shouldn't take communion because you'll be drinking judgment on yourself. But if you're here today and you want to receive the Lord, man, and you want to get right with him and, and, and you want him to give you a new start and to forgive you and to fill you, then right where you're at, you just talk to him. And he will, and he is just wanting to wash away all your sins, to forgive you, and to cleanse you, and to strengthen you, that you would never be the same. Right now, there is an opportunity. God is here, and he's willing to meet us right where we're at, you guys. So let's meet with him, and let's pray to him. Thank you, Lord.